Hey all, welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren, and today I got another great guest, Ms. Chelsea Cole. She has her own blog called The Duck's Oven. She's written a book called Everyday Sous Vide. It's all French to me. And she's also Director of Marketing for Vesta Precision, who makes some great sous vide and vacuum sealer products. I'll be right back with Chelsea. Smoking, grilling, getting hot and hotter, sous vide and chilling from fire and water. Hey all, I want to welcome back Inkbird Products as a sponsor of the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Inkbird makes some great thermometers, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, all that. They also make a great instant read thermometer that I really love. It's waterproof, totally rechargeable with USB, very accurate. Everybody should have one of these in their kitchen so they can check the internal temperatures of their food so they don't end up overcooking. Check out the waterproof instant read thermometer below and a link to Amazon from Inkbird. Welcome back, Inkbird Products. Welcome back to the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm your host. And today I got another great guest, Miss Chelsea, Chelsea Cole from Pre- uh, Vesta Precision Products. Puh, I got to spit it out, but <laughs> I'm sorry, Chelsea. Thanks for uh, being with me. Um, you're up there in uh, Washington State, correct? I'm actually in Portland. Vesta's in Washington State, but uh, I'm in Portland, okay. Oregon. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you're in Portland and Vesta's, so they're not too far away from you up there in exactly. the upper... Um, you know, uh, Western coast up there. So, so how long have you been with, um, Vesta now? So I've only been with them officially since March, but I've been, I had been doing a lot of freelance recipe development, um, for about a year and a half before then. All right. Well, let's, uh, talk about who you are, where you came from and all that. So you started out as a blogger. Let's start with that. Yeah. So I actually started blogging, uh, when I was a sophomore in college, Uh, So I had never really cooked before. I didn't cook like a lot at home growing up or anything like that, but um, started, you know, teaching myself how to cook in college because unfortunately I didn't have all the money in the world for takeout and found that I really loved it. And uh, the blogging world was, this was in uh, 2010, was much different back then. Uh, So back then my blog was like, I'm going to take a few pictures on my crappy cell phone and document this process and just kind of chat about it. Um, but you know, it's kind of, I've stuck with it and adapted it and grown with it over the years. And yeah, it actually helped me find my career path in marketing. So when I was in college, I was like, oh my gosh, food blog, I'm into food. I love this since I love food and cooking. That must mean eventually I want to open my own restaurant which is incredibly naive, as a lot of people will know. And so um, when I graduated from college, while I was in school, I, when I first started, I actually thought I wanted to work with kids. And um, I worked for the Brain Development Lab at the University of Oregon. And that was my first job was managing the behavioral lab. Uh, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to move back to Portland from Eugene and I'm going to find a job in the restaurant industry. And so I did. I actually landed uh, my opening job as an assistant manager (laughs) and uh, found that it was not for me. Um, Just because you love cooking does not mean you want to work in the restaurant industry. What do you know? And so I uh, kind of pivoted towards marketing. I was like, okay, the things that I love so much about this and about my blog are much more marketing related. And so um, I actually spent a year in Cape Town, South Africa with my husband while he was getting his master's degree. And during that time, started doing some remote freelance marketing and did my blog full time. And then when I got back, I jumped into my first uh, kind of real marketing jobs and have been working in marketing and freelance marketing and blogging ever since. Yeah, I started out back when I was younger, back in my teens in the restaurant business, started out washing dishes and then I cooked you know, thinking, oh, this is going to be a great career. And then, I, then I got married and figured out, you know, the money there is not the best. The hours stink. And um, you're usually, you know, you're, you're working two jobs because you can't really support yourself. On a, even if you get into, you know, management, you can't really support yourself or a family on the wages you make. And then the hours are ridiculous. So I spent about, you know, 10 years in the restaurant business before I decided to get into banking. So but I feel you there. It's um, everybody always thinks, you know, I'm a good cook. I should be in the restaurant business or 
people tell me that all the time. Oh, you should open a restaurant. I'm like, uh, no. <laughs> um, it kind of kills your love of cooking because then it's your it's your job. And a lot of times you don't have any control over what you're cooking. So it's just not at all, like not yeah. at all related. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, you know, uh, just the, the, like I said, the money, the, the pressure, the, mm -hmm. the different hours, it's just, you know, I see these guys that, you know, go through culinary school and they come out and they get, they get their first taste of actually working in a restaurant and they, uh, you know, hate it because it's nothing what they thought it was. It's nothing like it is in the movie. So, uh, you know, maybe that movie chef, you know, is about it <laughs> where, where the guys actually go crazy because they're, um, you know, <laughs> they're yep. alcoholic and drug addicts because they work so many hours, but there's, there's the restaurant business is really tough. The profit margins are thin. You can't make a lot of money in it. You're, you know, they, you know, that's the restaurants come and go all the time because, you know, people's tastes change all the time and profit margins, you know, are always fluctuating. So it's really hard to make that a career. That's for sure. Yeah. I, it, that's exactly true. Like I actually, I suffered so much in the beginning because my, I worked an opposite schedule for my husband and that is really hard and horrible. And, uh, I'm a morning person and working nights wasn't, you know, it's just, it's just awful, but I will say it helped me a lot in the long run because the company that I worked for, um, they're, they've got uh, eight locations here in Oregon. So it's just like a really small Italian chain. And uh, they ended up hiring for my, me for my second marketing role. Um, so, you know, it kind of did come back around and all of my marketing jobs have been in the food industry um, because that's what I love to talk about and love to market and I can speak passionately about. So it, it did help in the long run. And I mean, I think everybody will talk about the excellent life lessons they learned from working in the restaurant industry, but it's a lot easier to say that with that door behind you. Right. Yeah. And I talked to a lot of people like Eric Villegas from, uh, you know, VacMaster, um, you know, David from uh, PolyScience, these guys, you know, loved when they were in the, in the restaurant business, you know, it was a, a lot of work, but now they have these jobs that, they can still, you know, exercise their profession, but it's a lot less, you know, uh, stressful and, you know, <laughs> they're not, they're not worried about, you know, uh, you know, cooking for, you know, 400 people a night and making sure they make money and everything else. I mean, especially chef, you know, Eric Legas, he, he, had, he owned a couple of different restaurants and he said, now this is just like, you know, he, all he does, he goes around and, uh, you know, prepares, you know, uh, recipes and, and does the, um, shows for uh backmaster represents them and he has a blast does the videos and all that and um it's you know it's the easiest job in the world he says he does because then he can do what he loves and not have the pressure that goes along with it usually if you're working in the restaurant business so yep totally that's been my understanding too so let's get back in talking about your blog i'm going to share the screen again it's uh it's called the duck's oven where did that come from so that was um, from my alma mater. So I went to the University of Oregon, whose mascot is the Ducks. And uh, my then boyfriend, now husband, actually named my blog. And it's supposed to be a play on Dutch oven. Um, so, and I've just kind of stuck with it ever since. A lot of people will uh, rebrand frequently, but I still love it. And Oregon's been my home my whole life. So I feel like it's applicable still. Yeah. And, and, have you kept it, find it easy to keep it up with it over the years, even though you've started different careers and all that? Totally not. Um, it's fluctuated <laughs> quite a bit. So like my first job um, working at the Brain Lab was much more lax and very uh, casual hours, let's say. So it was super easy then. And, and then of course, when I transitioned to the restaurant industry, it was very difficult to maintain. Um, so it was very sporadic for a time. And then in the past few years, it's been a lot easier. So um, after I left the restaurant industry, my first job as a digital marketing specialist was at a startup. Um, a seafood startup here in Portland, which you can imagine that also was a little difficult to maintain the blog with. Um, <laughs> but then I actually transitioned into a part-time role after that and um, did a mix of, you know, my day job, blogging and freelancing. So, and I'm also, I don't have kids yet. Um, so that makes things, my time a little freer too, but it's definitely hard and blogging has evolved so much over the last 10 years. Like, like I said in the beginning, when I first started, it was like crappy iPhone photos and let's just babble for, you know, 800 words. In fact, my, my most popular blog post is from 2011. 
and it was a tutorial on how to make a can of Campbell's tomato soup taste better. <laughs> <laughs> so just the, the types of things you blog about and like the um, approach I would take to determining what I was going to blog about at any given time were um, so much different than they are today. In fact, I, I made the commitment to write my cookbook when I, so I, I wrote my cookbook in 2018, but started blogging about sous vide cooking in 2017. Um, and I saw that all these sous vide posts that I was doing were getting a lot of traffic. And I was like, huh, this is interesting. And it's because at the time there was so little sous vide content, especially for home cooks. Um, and so I was like, okay, I think that this is going to be like a good topic to write a book about because people are looking for more of this and I loved doing it. So it, you know, my blog has totally, my blog has really dictated my career in all aspects, including my book. So, yeah. So when you, when you did the book, I guess it's a spinoff from your um, blog. So that got you excited into writing. So how, how difficult was it to go from just writing a weekly or bi-weekly or monthly blog to actually writing a book because I've talked to several authors and they all have pretty much the same, same uh, comeback. So. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I will say I, I get like, um, I have a little bit of shiny object syndrome, so I'll get obsessed with an idea and then just dive full into it. So when I decided to write a book, I was transitioning to a new job. I was building a home, which is a lot of work. Um, and I was like, okay, I guess this is a great time to write a book. And so I actually did manage to do it in about six months, which is pretty quick. Um, but it was a lot of work and I think more than I anticipated. And it becomes kind of grueling. Like I typically love, I, so for my book, I wrote everything, wrote every recipe, did all the photography. It was all done by me, except the design. Um, I had a friend helped me, help me with that. Uh, so I love doing those things typically, but it gets, I mean, when you've written so many words, it's exhausting. Um, and especially, you know, writing, just like getting creative enough to pull out different food descriptors, even just like becomes really, really hard. Um, but one thing that was great about writing my book was how supportive the sous vide community was for me. So I managed to find recipe testers and sous vide Facebook groups I was in. Um, and then once the book did launch, so many people supported it, which was so kind, both here in Portland and in the wider sous vide community. So I had a really good support system, both like at home. My mom, for example, was um, my kitchen assistant when I would recipe test and shoot recipes, meaning she mostly just did dishes. She's a saint. Um, and, you know, I had uh, support from, from the world. So it was, it was really great in that sense. And I felt like I connected with a lot of people, but again, it's one of those things where the hard work's behind me. So it's easy for me to, you know, wax poetic about the process now. <laughs> now, did you work with a uh, publisher or did you self-publish or? Self-published. Yeah. So I was like, I did a lot of research and I actually, during that time, um, found a mentor here in Portland. Her name's Diane Morgan and she's written 18 cookbooks. Um, including one all about salmon. If, uh, if anybody has access to a lot of salmon, but, um, and she, I talked with her and I was like, so what are your thoughts on publishing traditionally or self-publishing? And, uh, you know, there's lots of other great people to talk to. Uh, Jason Logsdon has so many great resources about it. Um, and she said after having traditionally published 18 cookbooks, she would not traditionally publish again. And uh, part of the reason is now all these cookbook authors, a lot of them are bloggers or food influencers or things like that who can do more than develop recipes. And so publishing houses rely on them to, for their own photography. And a lot of times, even if you aren't photographing um, the recipes yourselves, you are on the hook to use your advance to hire a photographer. Um, and same thing with a lot of other, um, other people that you need to make your book happen. So it, you end up spending so much of your advance, you barely come out even, and then you barely, uh, the percentage of your royalties is much, much smaller when you go traditional publishing route. So I ended up self-publishing because I was like, well, I was not young, I don't know, it wasn't that long ago, but still, and like, I can do all this work myself, I can figure it out, it's gonna <laughs> be fine. Um, and I wanted to make a better cut on it. And I also wanted to fully own my book. So if you traditionally publish, 
the cover is up to the publishing house. The content is really up to the publishing house. Um, and I wanted control over all of that. And they get to determine how, what your uh, book runs are like. So like how many um, copies of your book get printed, where they're sold, uh, if they might go out of stock somewhere. So like Diane Morgan, for example, had a book um, that they decided to no longer print anymore. And she was trying to figure out how to get, how to get the rights back so she could keep printing it. So I just really wanted that control. Um, and I think I would go that way again. I, I, part of me, we actually developed a resource, me and um, the designer who did the book for other food bloggers to teach them how to self-publish. Um, and I kind of want to traditionally publish a book just so I can compare and contrast the experiences for myself. But I think my next book will probably be a self-published book as well. So how do you go about getting like the hard copy of the book done? I mean, is there places that you can do that that will actually do it? I know a lot of people do it. They start off doing the eBooks, which is, you know, pretty much that's really easy. You don't have to worry about actually physically, you know, having a uh, physical product to uh, put out. How, how, did you, who do you work with? Is, does Amazon have that kind of setup within its structure to do that? Yep. Amazon does it all. So I, I've looked into, and I need to, honestly, it just takes a lot of time and effort and I haven't wanted to devote the time and effort to it. Um, but I need to look into other means for self-publishing. Um, but right now my book is exclusively available on Amazon and they have a self-publishing platform called KDP and they pr print on demand. So what that means is if somebody orders a copy of my book on Amazon, then they print it. So they don't have like a stockpile of my books sitting in a warehouse somewhere. It's gotcha. only printed when someone buys it, which is great for me too, because that means I'm not sitting on 3000 books and like exactly. fresh yeah. and sell them. <laughs> yeah. So it's really nice. Yeah. And that's, you know, with anything, I mean, I've, I have uh, people I've talked to like Malcolm Reed. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a big barbecue guy, but um, when he first started selling his barbecue rub, you know, you pretty much, you got to order like 400 cases of it not knowing if it's even going to sell. So, yeah. I mean, and that's a pretty big risk you're taking, uh, you know, he had to, he had to front a bunch of money, store it in his own garage and try to, you know, sell it. Hopefully somebody was going to buy it. So um, I could understand it, not wanting to publish a book and have, you know, cases of them sitting somewhere and collecting dust. But yep. um, yeah, uh, there's many different ways in the, it's this electronic age anymore. I mean, I don't know how much longer people are going to actually buy physical books. So to be able to have that option to where they can, you know, print it on demand when somebody actually wants it is, is uh, pretty great. So. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yes. That was one of the big reasons I went with it. So let's walk into how that got you involved with uh, Vesta Precision. So how did you end up going there and being part of their marketing uh, or actually their, their, their marketing director? Yeah, um, this is like the power of, you know, networking and community for me. So like I, when I first published my book um, here in Portland, so many people were kind and awesome and supportive and invited me to all of their holiday markets. So um, I self-published or my book was published um, over a Black Friday weekend, which just like set me up for the holiday season, which was really great. Um, and so I did like 12 markets that season. And some of those were open houses at a kitchen supply store here in Portland. Um, and they have like four locations here in Portland and they sell best of precision products. Um, and they exclusively sell their immersion circulators. And so they're the woman who um, I worked with to get set up there and who bought my books for their store connected me with Vesta um, just to be like, Hey, you guys might be able to talk about something. Um, and they, at the time, needed help with recipe development and um, photography for social media. So I started doing some freelance work for them for that, with that, which was great. And so I did that um, for about a year, or maybe eight months. And then they also asked me for help managing their social media channels. So I started doing a little bit of that. And uh, then they asked if I would just come on their team and lead their marketing efforts. Um, so it was kind of uh, a little bit of a process and so fortuitous. And it's pretty incredible. I mean, for, you know, for me to just like reflect and think about the fact that I was blogging about sous vide and then decided to write a cookbook and now I get to work and work here full time. So do you end up having to go into the office much at all or do you do most of your work um, from home? Uh, well, pre-COVID. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was going up about once a month and then now I've just been home. So I do most of the work from, from home because Seattle's about three hours away. So I'll take the train up every now and then. Um, but typically yeah, I just work from my, my home office here in Portland. Yeah. Me and my wife both, you know, work from home and we work from home, you know, even before COVID. So it's actually quite nice to be able to do most of your work from, you know, electronically now. So, you yep. know, phone, you know, uh, used to be fax, but now you don't even need fax anymore with email and scans and everything else. So it's uh, really great to be able to work from, the, you know, your house, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's a day in a life when you first came on board in, in marketing, what, what did they have you doing? Um, so there hadn't been too, there'd been um, less of a, like a cohesive marketing strategy in place when I first came on. So I've been working on making that a little more well-rounded um, as I'm sure with everyone, COVID has frankly changed things. And so a lot of the more fun projects that we had in mind on the back burner um, until later. And so we're doing um, some of the more basic stuff right now. So we've, for example, um, one of my big projects lately has been around Google ads. Um, so kind of getting that whole program up and running, uh, optimizing our website, optimizing it for optimizing our Amazon listings, all of the things like that. So it's really just like the basics of making sure that people know who we are, uh, understand what we have to offer them and are excited to buy it and understand why it's better um, than others. So the, as far as I know, I think Vesta started out pretty much on, on doing the food bags, just the vacuum sealer bags. Is that correct? Or No, actually mostly just sous vide equipment at first. And so now we do a lot of bags and rolls and then we have a lot of vacuum sealers as well. And when did they start actually producing the sous vide equipment and, and vacuum sealers? Very recently. So this, um, most of our models have only been available for about a year and some of them about a year and a half. So very, very new. And what, what got them started in, into doing the, the sous vide uh, equipment and, and vacuum sealers? Our CEO has worked in this industry for decades. Um, so he's worked in the small kitchen appliance industry for, for forever. Um, and so he fell in love with um, sous vide in the thousands. What do you call aughts, I guess, is what that, that decade's technically called. Um, and then started, uh, de decided he wanted to develop his own company a few years ago. Um, and so he's really dove into it since then. And he wanted to create products that were designed both for chefs and for home cooks, but he also took the approach of talking to um, chefs in particular and figuring out what types of products they actually wanted in their kitchen and what would make things easier for them. Um, and then applied those to uh, products for our consumers as well. So instead of like with Anova and Juul, where most of their products started out like with one product geared towards um, the consumer, it looks like they came out with all at once. They wanted to cover both the consumer and the commercial side, the restaurants, the, uh, you know, uh, caterers, stuff like that. Um, did they help develop a lot of these products or a lot of these products off the shelf and they just stuck their name on it? How, how did it, how did it work? No, they definitely helped develop a lot of them. So it was in partnership with um, Chef Jason, whose last name I am spacing right now, um, out of Seattle. He actually worked with our CEO, Bob, to help develop a lot of these products. So like, for example, the flip front technology uh, design that we have on some of the Immersa models, um, that was designed because a chef was like, I want to be able to see what's happening with my immersion circulator from across the room. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was developed that way. So the commercial products came at the same time. So that, that came, I guess, from, from the chefs um, giving the input. Uh, what about the, the uh, consumer side? Is it they, they saw what was out there and they decided they want to see if they could make something a little bit better? Yep, pretty much. Yep. And just figure out what consumers were looking for. So for example, a good example of that, one thing I love our vacuum seal elite vacuum sealers actually have built-in storage for a roll of vacuum seal bags and you can cut it within there too. So that's that model. Yeah. On the right there. Um, so you can cut it right within there, which is great. And it helps you save on storage. Like one of the biggest complaints from home cooks is I don't need another gadget. Like where am I going to put another gadget? And so we've been trying to think about that as we develop, um, new things, for example, our vertical evac, which I can't wait till it's back in stock. Um, 
is a chamber vacuum sealer. And those are so popular and they're so useful for people who sous vide a lot or just like vacuum seal a lot. And, but most uh, chamber vacuum sealers are massive. <laughs> um, and this one's compact and pretty enough that it looks good living on your counter um, if you wanted to. Yeah, that, that's one of the things. And I think this within the last year or two, the chamber vacuum sealers geared more towards the home user have been starting to get a little bit more popular. Even VacMaster after, you know, they've, they've had a couple models that came out that just they've had issues with that they, they'd come and go. But everybody's starting to notice that if you can make something that's, you know, around the five $600 range and that, that can fit on their uh you know, counter and not take up a whole bunch of room, there's a big market for that because people mm -hmm. want that kind of, you know, performance that you can get out of a chamber sealer. Um, yep. You know, they don't want to spend a thousand dollars and they don't want to have it take up half of their counter. We've gotten a lot of um, fishermen and hunters who love this. I actually come, my dad is a, a fisherman and a hunter and I let him borrow mine after he shot an elk last year. Um, <laughs> a lot of these people are just so excited about this because it's, yeah, it's easy to transport. It looks pretty, it's affordable. And so it's really been big in the hunting and fishing communities. And going back to these, uh, avert, uh, the uh, immersion circulator, the uh, Immersa here uh, the, with the flat design, I, I can really see, I like um, one of the first circulators I ever had actually, uh, had the front facing design and I like that better than all the other ones out there that are, you know, you have to attach to the, to the back of your container and, you know, you gotta, you know, kind of look and try to, you know, sometimes you gotta kind of angle your head the right way to be able to see the uh, numbers on it because just the way the LEDs are. But um, that's one of the things I did notice on this. It is easy to see, but it also does have the, you know, the Wi-Fi and, you know, Bluetooth control that people, are demanding nowadays. Um, not that I see a big need to have something with Wi-Fi on it that you're setting and letting it go for hours on end, but people want it. I mean, it's just like anything now. Um, even with the, the barbecue grills and smokers, people are demanding it because there's a lot of models that have it. So they're looking to have that control where they can be somewhere else and look at and, and monitor their cook or what have you. So, but yeah. Um, and I'm with you there. I honestly like never use the Wi-Fi capability because <clears throat> I don't know. I just turn it on and like let it go. Um, but yeah, but, and then another thing I love about that model too, just because like intuitively it makes sense to me is the um, electrical housing isn't sitting directly above evaporating water. Uh, so it's just, it's gonna last longer than a traditional stick model. Um, so I like that too, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is a little bit different shape. So I think we talked, uh, said something about this before to you is that, you know, the, the standard lids that are out there that fit like the Innova size or the Jewel size won't work with it, but it's really easy to use, you know, sous vide balls or something else um, or if mm -hmm. you need a lid. So, I mean, it's, it's um, I, overall performance wise, it, it looks like it does a lot better of a job. Like you said, there's some benefits to it um, and, you know, if it gets, you know, more popular, I guess somebody will make a lid for it, but. <laughs> yep, totally. Exactly. That's the goal. <laughs> or a container. So how, how yep. come you guys haven't decided to um, look into making containers like some of the other manufacturers have? You know what? I don't know. We are. I mean, we're, we've developed other things. Like we, um, I think that they're officially live on the website. We now have like uh, vacuum sealable, like Tupperware type containers um, and a few other things that we've, we've got in the works, but, uh, you know what, I'm not totally sure. I'll ask or ask our product product development guy and, uh, see, see what his response to that is. And the thing of it is, you know, somebody uh, mentioned the other, I think it was on Jason's, uh, a show you were on the other day mentioned the Pavi, which it's really just a, a storage container with a lid. I mean, they, they didn't really design it for sous vide it's just it's actually a, a food storage container with a lid mm -hmm. you know a hole cut in it the right way and it's um you know uh, there's plenty of those on um on um you know amazon and, and other places but you know at least with the ones that nova made are actually they actually made them for sous vide so they do have some things built into it that's strictly designed for sous vide and i can see where those are going to be a little bit more popular down the road. You can put a sous vide circulator in any kind of container. There's no doubt about it. 
and I, I actually have a, you know, Coleman cooler that I use when I do my big barbecue stuff, you know, like if I want to do a whole pack of brisket, I can fit it on a Coleman cooler where I cut a hole in the top and uh, stick my stick circulator in there. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's also good to have something that's built for a sous vide, you know, uh, with certain things built into it, like some of the other containers out there. So I can see where that could be a good seller for you guys, since you do have all these other things like the sous vide cart. Let's talk about that sous vide cart real quick. I'm going to get that back up on the screen because that's something where it looks to me like it's, it's built for, you know, the restaurant use. Yep. And it's, um, it's quite expensive, but I can see where somebody, you know, could actually use this in their home as well, but um, yep. it's, it's yeah. really designed to be used in a restaurant. Exactly. Yep. Um, we developed it because, again, this was like uh, our CEO having conversations with chefs and figuring out what they need. Um, and chefs love it. So we've got a chef up in Seattle and another chef in Portland who, have, who are awesome. And uh, they use it as essentially um, a mobile prep station. So the great thing about it is it's uh, got an electrical, it's got electrical in it. So you can just, and it's got a super, super long cord, So you can put it anywhere in your kitchen. In fact, the chef here in Portland um, during off hours, he has it out in his dining room, but he's able to plug it in. So it just turns into another workspace. And then it houses his, um, he's got a vertical back elite in it, um, a vacuum, just a, a standard vacuum sealer and his water bath and immersion circulator, like all set up in it. And then we have actually, too, some home cooks who use it next to their barbecues. So they'll set up massive stations um, where they have their barbecue right next to, like, essentially a sous vide station um, on their patio. Um, so it's pretty cool. I don't think Guga does that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He, he has one of our carts. No, I know. I saw his video on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it, it definitely... Uh, I can see where a restaurant or even, you know, somebody that does sous vide a lot could uh, use that, you know, um, to uh, have a good setup there, especially with, um, you know, um, that uh, chamber back sitting right there. It looks uh, you know, like it fits right in there. So. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's, that's exactly what it's designed for. <laughs> have you, um, as far as the you know, products go, have you found that most of the bath um, type units that you sell, uh, like this here, are they mostly sold uh, sold to restaurants? Do consumers actually still buy these type of units with the um... restaurants mostly for sure? And then we still have some like old school sous vide users who prefer them. Um, and I think it's just mo- it's honestly mostly folks who have a massive kitchen and always have their water bath out anyways. But it's definitely more commercial than consumer. Yeah, I mean I, I looked at those and actually was sent one that kind of did a little bit of everything. And the, the thing I didn't like about it was you're kind of stuck in the size there. So like with a, a regular circulator, a stick circulator, or what have you, at least you can change containers and, you know, have different size options, but you're locked into something. If I got this smaller one here, you know, let's just say, and I was using it at home and I wanted to cook, you know, something a little bit larger, uh, I, I'm pretty much stuck on the space there. So, mm-hmm. but um, I can see where if you're in a restaurant and you're using it for fish, you know, all the time or what have you, or, you know, poached eggs, poach yeah. eggs <laughs> or even just steaks. And it's, you know, you're, you're cooking the same thing over and over again. And then I can see that, um, you know, being a, a good setup as well. Then you don't have to worry about the separate container and all that. You can just turn it on and go. You totally. also... You also offer up packages and um, so people can actually just buy a sous vide circulator and a, and a uh, uh, vacuum sealer together with some bags, like a, a pretty much, um, you know, a ready to go kit uh, that has been really popular on, um, on your website. Yes, very. Um, it's because if you're getting into it and you, I mean, people will, like, I know a lot of people who just start off by getting an immersion circulator, but it's so nice to have the vacuum sealer too. Like it makes, it makes cooking sous vide so much easier. Um, so a lot of people now, and our, and our kits are really affordable too, considering all the things that it comes with. So they've been very, very popular. Yeah. I mean, I, I run a fairly large sous vide um, group and you, you always have people, especially new people come in asking, you know, what, 
you know, vacuum sealer should I use? What speed circulator, what container do I use? So it's always good to be able to suggest something to where, you know, especially something that's affordable for them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to send them to, to go buy a $250, you know, sous vide circulator by itself. And then you know, have to worry about going out and buying a hundred dollar vacuum sealer. And then, you know, another 50 bucks for a container or what have you, if you can get in something, you know, in, in the hundred to $200 range and have the, the whole package, it's always good. And totally. especially if they're just starting, they don't know if they're going to continue on with it or, you know, I, I'm always one. I like to dip my toe in the water. I don't like to go out and buy a twelve hundred dollar uh, something if I don't know if I'm going to actually continue to do it. So mm-hmm. um, I did that when I started doing. Uh, I got a ceramic grill. I wanted to make sure I wanted to cook that way. So instead of buying the thousand dollar grill first, I got something that was maybe three hundred dollars. It's similar to see if I like that way of cooking before I took the leap and bought something a little bit more expensive. And I always you know, tell people that that's what they should do. Don't run out and buy the most expensive thing and, you know, d- dive too deep into it because all you're going to do is frustrate yourself. And I've seen people do it. You know, they, if they spend a lot of money up front, they, they expect more out of it than if they just spent a little bit and then, you know, work their way through it. Yep. That's, I think that's exactly right. And I think, um, you know, one one thing that I'm passionate about is uh, bringing sous vide to the broader cooking community. Um, and I think kits like this make that happen because one of the biggest questions I get is what do I need to start with sous vide? And it's like, oh, you need this, this one thing, order this one thing, and then you will have everything you need to start with sous vide. You can buy my book too, but <laughs> this one little kit will get you completely set up with everything you need. Yeah, that's great. All right, so let's talk about the um, sous vide summit. You're going to be part of the sous vide summit for the first time. Uh, last year was the first year I wasn't able to make it. I was, uh, you know, invited to come, but I had my schedule was um, already pre-booked before when they invited me to come. I was looking forward to being in San Francisco this year, but unfortunately, it's going to have to be virtual this year. So, what are you looking to get out of the sous vide summit this year? Yeah, I am super excited. I also, uh, I was in Europe last summer, which is crazy to think about. And so I wasn't able to attend. So I'm really excited to be a part of it this year. Um, But yeah, I, like I was kind of commenting on when I was talking about my book, the sous vide community is such a fun community. And, you know, I do, I I always feel like I've met everyone who's in it, but uh, there's always more people to meet. And so I'm really excited to connect with all of these people Um, and to learn more. I mean, I, you know, sous vide a lot. <laughs> and I, I always feel like I've got a good handle on, on most things, but um, it's always great to hear from other people. And I, I also always think it's interesting having worked in the restaurant industry for so many years myself and um, working with chefs now, learning more about how sous vide is used in the restaurant industry now, um, since it's still like difficult to use sous vide in restaurant kitchens. Um, right. With Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious to learn, um, <clears throat> more about that. And then I, you know, I, I just started talking about this a little bit, but I still think um, sous vide is not as mainstream as it could be. Um, when I first got into sous vide cooking, I was actually, I had heard about sous vide for some time, and, but I was nervous to try it myself because I interpreted it as being this very sciencey guy gadget. Like it's got a reputation for being such a guy gadget and for food nerds. And I'm like, I, I'm, I don't know. And then my mom just got me one for my birthday and that's how I got into it. And uh, I was like, okay, guess I'm going to try this thing now. And I love it. And um, I think the idea of it being for food nerds is kind of silly because it actually simplifies the cooking process. It takes most of the hard work out for you. So if you are a home cook, who wants to try more adventurous cooking or who wants to buy an expensive steak for Valentine's day, but doesn't want to ruin it. Sous vide is going to help you do that. And so I want people to be more comfortable with it. Um, So I'm excited to connect with other people um, at the conference who maybe are in more of the space. I am who are talking to home cooks or who are home cooks. So hopefully I'll get the opportunity to do that. One of the things that intrigued me about it when I first, saw it and I was like two and a half years ago was my first exposure to it 
and a light bulb went off in my head because I was really big into barbecue and had been, you know, and I've cooked for a long time. I do all the cooking here, you know, um, just cooking has always been a passion of mine. And when I started playing around with it, I figured, you know, I liked low and slow barbecue, but I figured that this process was the ultimate low and slow because you could dial in the lower temperature um, doneness for like say brisket or beef ribs or something like that and, and still make them super tender and medium rare or, or what have you, or medium, which you really can't do when you use the, the barbecue or the, the, the smoker by itself. You can make them tender, but usually you got to get them well done, you know, over 200 degrees before that collagen and, and the uh, connective tissue and everything breaks down to make it more tender. But with sous vide, you can actually do it in there and then throw it on the smoker to get the smoke and the bark and combining them. And that's what I'm gonna be speaking about uh, in the uh, sous vide summit is how you can take two cooking methods like smoking and, and sous vide and make something totally different when you combine the two than you could make with either one of those on their own. So you can make a tender, tender brisket or, or beef ribs in the smoker, but you can't make a medium rare. You can make, you know, tender, medium rare uh, brisket in the sous vide, but you can't get that smoke and bark unless you put it in the smoker. So, so you, combining those two methods, you can make something totally you couldn't make any other way. So that, that's the kind of thing that really excites me about sous vide. And I want to get people to start looking at sous vide as more of a process instead of, a good way to cook a steak or a good way to cook a chicken breast or a pork chop. And that's what everybody's first impression is, is that it's great with steaks, you know, it's, then they, then, then they discount it for anything else, but it, it is so much more than that. And you can, you know, the, the, uh, the whole process is just so much more because of its, its exact temperature cooking, low temperature cooking that it can do so much more. And that's what I like to spread and show people because once you get them more excited about it and go, hey, man, this thing can do so much more than I ever thought it could. That's when they start the really the light bulb goes off in their head. So. Yep. And I think too, like I love to sous vide and smoke too. It's one of my favorite cooking methods. I pretty anything I smoke now I do sous vide first. Um, and I think people uh, overestimate the equipment that it takes to do that. Um, like I had somebody ask me on Instagram, like, what is your setup like? Because wow, you have, you cook all these meals. Like you must have so much equipment that you have for that. Like we don't have, we live, um, we don't have a yard where we live and we only have a tiny little balcony. So I've got a little green mountain grill, Davy Crockett sitting on my balcony and a camping grill in my sous vide. And that's it. <laughs> and so it really doesn't take much to be able to do that. And the food that you produce with it is mind blowing. Like I made brisket and pastrami last month and my dad was like, this is the best brisket I've ever had. And I was like, well, that's a high compliment coming from you. So I don't think people know that all that they can do with it. Yeah. And, and that's, like I said, that's one of the things that drove me into doing what I do is teaching people that, you know, it's, it can do so much more. And I like to do experiment and, and try new things. And a bunch of the people that are in my group, they think just like I do. And a lot of people that are in the, the CV summit, you know, are, are the same way, like Jason and Mike and uh, Lloyd and, and Kevin, some of these guys that, um, you know, we, we all, chat about this stuff all the time and see what we can do to experiment and try something new and then show it to people and say, look, you know, it's not just a, you know, steak machine. It's not a George Foreman grill or an Instapot. This thing can do so much more. And, you know, I get people all the time still when I talk about cooking a brisket or beef ribs, they'll go, Oh man, you're cooking something for two or three days. You know, it's like, yeah, but you don't have to do anything with it. Yeah. You just turn it on and let it go. It's not like when you're cooking a, a brisket on the smoker alone for 12 hours, you got to babysit the fire, make sure that, you know, you got enough wood in there and all that. And even with a pellet grill, you got to make sure you don't run out of pellets, you know, and, and all that. So sorry if you heard that. That's a storm coming my way. Oh, <laughs> Man, lightning, so we better get this thing wrapped up because <laughs> it might lose my power. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's what I, I love to do. And I, I like to show people that, you know, and I like to experiment and, and just show people how much more that sous vide can do when, especially when you mix it with other cooking methods. Sometimes people get 
they try to make cooking methods um, fight each other. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like some of the barbecue guys go, ah, you, you know, you're boiling stuff and, you know, only you can only cook something this way. And I, I always like to experiment, try new things, try different ty- types of food. That's just the way I am. And I always like to show other people how uh, to do it as well. So I like to cook, you know, brisket a hundred different ways. I don't like to just, just one way. I don't like to just cook things one way and that's it. <laughs> so. And I think uh, that's where, you know, we are the experimenters and then we share what works best for us. Um, and, and that's one of my favorite things to do as well. So this is the sous vide summit's going to be your first one. It's virtual this year, but do you do other uh, events and stuff with uh, Vesta? Well, this will, I'm fairly new. I was supposed to do a lot this year and they all yeah. got canceled. Unfortunately. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So we were supposed to be at several different trade shows and we were looking into even um, having a presence at a lot of uh, food blogger conferences and things like that. Um, but that's all going to be postponed for, for a minute, but yes, in the future, there definitely will. And I've also done some live cl- like classes, cooking classes. We did it like a steak and eggs themed one um, with Vesta too. So look out for those every now and then. Yeah. Now I think we discussed this on Jason's um, show the other day. Um, I'm sure just like everybody else right now, Vesta's having some issues getting product in. Mm-hmm. Yep. Unfortunately, we've got a fair amount of out of, out of stock. And so our strategy right now is um, overproducing and overordering in ante- anticipation for the holidays. Uh, so that's what we're hoping will work out. Um, but, you know, we're just kind of rolling with it and hoping that people will be patient, but we'll see. Gotcha. Any ETA on like uh, some of the vacuum sealers, like the uh, vertical and all that? Theoretically, early August. So. Okay. Keep your fingers crossed and hopefully they'll be here soon. <laughs> yeah, I think a, a lot of the manufacturers are in the same boat. They're all waiting, literally, they're waiting for the boats you know, to come back yep. over. So, yep. um, yeah, and there's a lot of demand, uh, pent up demand as well, because they've had it, you know, uh, for so long, you know, they just not been able to get stuff or they've slowed down their sales because of the, you know, waning inventory. But I'm looking forward to everything to get back to normal. That's for sure. Me too. And my husband's a teacher, so I've been cooped up at home with him trying to teach his students, which has been fun. So, <laughs> so is there anything new coming out that Vesta is going to be uh, releasing soon? Anything you can talk about? Yeah, I can uh, kind of tease one thing. We're still um, experimenting with it, but uh, we will have biodegradable vacuum seal bags, uh, which is super exciting. Um, so if you I mean, I think we all feel a little bit guilty about the plastic waste that comes with um, sous vide cooking and with in vacuum seal storage in general. So that's going to be really, really nice for that. Um, and then we do have one other thing that I can't talk too much about, but that's also going to uh, reduce plastic waste in a few months. So, yeah, biodegradable bags would be a really, a really big uh, seller for sure because those. I don't know. I see people all the time try to use those silicone reusable bags, and they just. I used, I tried to use one once and I'll never use one again. You know, it's just, they're, they're hard to clean. They don't work good. You can't use, you know, you're stuck with a certain size. And um, yeah, I see people in the groups all the time, you know, yeah, they, they, they want to be, you know, enviro conscious. So they don't want to keep using, you know, vacuum sealer bags, but there's just no good option out there for a reusable bag. So biodegradable would be a huge uh, seller, I'm sure. So any ETA on that being able to come out? Uh, not quite sure, but it, it should be before the holidays. Okay, so, great. Yeah. That's so hopefully this something fall. to shoot for, but yep. definitely yeah. that's, I think that would be a really good um, option there because I, I, it comes up all the time, especially for new people, you know, that are, they, they're just, they don't want to keep throwing out plastic bags. I can understand that, you know, yep. so. Mm-hmm. But, yep, uh, and I feel the same way. So yeah. But those silicone bags are just you know, forget it. <laughs> you buy them and then they last like four uses. So it's like okay, that didn't really help me much. <laughs> no, yeah, and 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 they're difficult to use. I mean, yeah. and and they're just you know hard hard to get things in and out of them, and you can't really wash them that well. It's no. just, I don't. Know, it's just they're not good at all. So yeah. And I've seen several different kinds, and none of them are worth worth uh, worth it. So so I always suggest people just. You know, just do, just, it. just do it because those yep. things are not going to be good. You're going to end up throwing those away. Like you said, after four or five uses anyway. So, 
how is that going to help you? But, well, all right, Chelsea, I, I want to thank you for being on. If there's anything else you want to bring up about Vesta or, or yourself? Um, one, sorry, there's a very loud motorcycle outside right now. Um, <laughs> one more quick thing. Uh, my cookbook this week is officially available on Kindle. So if you are prefer reading on Kindle, my cookbook is finally available there. Um, and then I love talk to people. I am super, super active on Instagram in particular. So come find me at a duck's oven and I'd love for us to become Instagram friends. Now, do you have, do you actually have control over the Vesta's uh, Facebook page or anything like that as well? Or Yep. So if you go to both of those channels too, I will be there too. I'm on all of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I'll put the in, the, in the description, make sure people have all the links. Um, so this is going to be on YouTube, Facebook, and uh, anywhere people get podcasts, so they'll be able to oh, find awesome. you. They'll be able to find you uh, wherever they are. But um, that's that's awesome. Let me ask you. You said that your book's now on Kindle. Did it not start out on Kindle for some reason? No, Kindle is a beast. Um, <laughs> because so you'll notice, like when you read a Kindle book, you can um, adjust the font sizes and like flip different pages and all this stuff. So the file you can technically upload a pdf but it's a really poor experience and i just didn't want to do that and so i worked with a friend of mine to make it the right way so it's completely um dynamic so it's linked within itself it's linked to the web and then you can like adjust font sizes and it'll do its thing um within that so no it took a long time <laughs> i didn't know if that was something that amazon you know kind of helped you do through their uh, self-publishing thing but i guess not nope they don't help you at all. <laughs> In yeah. fact, so that, that part's a little tough, but. <laughs> well, now I learned something. So if I ever want to yep. write a book, I don't know. Everybody I've talked to that wrote a book just has told me some, you know, how, how much, how hard it was. It's like giving birth. So I don't know. I will say it is hard, but it, now that you've heard all that though, maybe it'll be less hard than you think. And it is like a very nice sort. I mean, it's not at all a lot of money. It, it, you just don't make a lot of money from writing books unless you're, you know, Martha Stewart. Um, but it's a nice source of tiny passive income. So, yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Chelsea Cole from Vesta Precision and a Duck Seven blog. And what's the name of the book? Everyday Sous Vide, correct? Mm -hmm. Everyday Sous Vide on Amazon. I will make sure all the uh, links are going to be in the description below. So they'll be able to find you everywhere. And I will see you also at the Sous Vide Summit, August 21st to the 23rd, virtually. So make sure you guys. Uh, sign up for the sous vide summit put on by the international sous vide association awesome thank you so much for having me this was great i really appreciate you being on i'm sure you'll be on again soon sounds good and i'll link out to myself as well all righty thanks well thanks again for joining us on the fire and water cooking podcast i want to thank chelsea cole one more time of best of precision and the ducks oven blog Make sure you follow her. Check out the links below. And make sure you also follow the Fire and Water Cooking Podcast. Make sure you follow the Fire and Water Cooking YouTube channel, Facebook group and Facebook page, and Instagram. And I'll see you guys on the next Fire and Water Cooking Podcast.